Hi, everyone. I'm Piper Moretti, and I'm back for another episode of Crypto and Real Estate. This time, I'm talking with my friend Henry Elder. Henry is the president of the International Blockchain Real Estate Association and the head of wealth management at Wave Financial. Henry was involved in the first commercial tokenization project in New York City with a company called Slice, and he's been my go-to for pretty much all things tokenization for years now. I met you pretty early on in my crypto real estate journey. I think Heidi Peace introduced us. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it was pretty early in my crypto real estate journey as well. So I think we've kind of grown together. Uh, oh, and definitely. you know, Heidi now works with me at Wave, which I think is amazing. She's kind of gone full circle, and I mean, she's she's just a brilliant mind. Um, and yeah, she's exactly like one of the first people that I met. Uh, I don't even know how we found each other. We just did. We just kind of gravitate. Yeah, she is brilliant. And both of you have <laughs> absolutely amazing Rolodexes. Um, it's been incredible to watch, uh, you know, your platform grow uh, over the years. You know, I just feel like you've sort of been involved in almost every major like real estate blockchain project under the sun. So that's really <laughs> awesome. Well, I mean, you know, it, I have to, I do have to attribute some of that to Heidi, you know, she kind of launched me, you know, with, with all these amazing introductions and, you know, I, I guess, you know, when you're one of the first people you tend to grow in this space, I don't know if that's good or bad, but, you know, our, our friend Susie says that we're on the bleeding edge and I swear to God, that's like, it couldn't be more true. Yeah. So give us a little bit more background. You come from a real estate family. Uh, so you found your your real estate niche pretty early on, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, real estate family. Uh, my father was in it, grandfather's in it, great grandfather was in it. All of all, all in Los Angeles. Wow. Um, so never really had a choice, <laughs> as mm. they say. Mm -hmm. uh, and I went into real estate right out of college, um, uh, at a an investment bank here in LA, a sort of a boutique capital markets firm. And then from there, went on to a private equity fund in Beverly Hills, uh, doing commercial value add debt financing all over the country. Um, and, you know, it was a lot of fun. I learned a lot. Uh, you know, it was kind of was in the family business, you know, carrying the carrying the, the, the torch, I guess, as they say, um, and flying all over the country and looking at all these different deals and kind of learning the metrics and fundamentals of, of real estate. Uh, but along the way, you know, my wife started working at this blockchain company in Venice called Gem. Um, and I, did, did you know Gem? Did you know Michael Winklespect? No, it's one person I don't think I have met. <laughs> well, he actually ended up moving to Puerto Rico. So that might, that might be oh, why. Surprise. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but Gem was like, Gem was like OG crypto. Um, <laughs> Micah was building a Bitcoin wallet back in 2013. Wow. Uh, and then that basically morphed and grew into Gem, which at the time that my wife joined was taking blockchain technology and applying it for uh, uh, commercial use cases, uh, you know, like, like uh, permission blockchains for companies, right? Wow. Um, and they would host the local LA Ethereum meetups uh, at their offices in Venice. And so uh, I got to know everybody who worked there. It was an awesome group of people. Um, and I, you know, would hang out after hours with them and, and uh, just sort of, you know, learn at the Ethereum meetups. And so I kind of got a, uh, 
a window into what was going on in Ethereum pretty early in Ethereum's existence. Uh, and one of the big things was initial coin offerings. Uh, and I don't know if you know your uh, listeners are familiar with you know what an IC, uh, an initial coin offering or an ICO is, but basically people were uh, you know taking an idea uh, for a crypto company, putting it down uh, on paper in a in a white paper, um, and then selling tokens on the Ethereum blockchain that they essentially promised would have some use in the uh, platform that they were building, right? Mm -hmm. And this was possible on Ethereum because uh, Ethereum, unlike Bitcoin, allows you to, uh, you know, compute, you know, smart contracts and software on it, right? You you can run software on this uh, decentralized computing network called the Ethereum virtual machine. And early on, someone created a format called ERC-20, where anyone could launch their own token on the Ethereum network. Um, and so you suddenly had this proliferation of all these tokens and people writing these white papers and you know spinning up a website, publishing the white paper on the website, uh, and then allowing people to send Ethereum, uh, or in some cases, Bitcoin, in exchange for, uh, for these new tokens. And that funding source really took off. I mean, it, it went like exponential. Um, and by like mid 2017, we had projects that were raising like hundreds of millions of dollars in seconds, you know, wow. or in like 10 minutes. Uh, so clearly there was a lot of demand for this. A lot of it was obviously driven by the fact that, uh, you know, crypto prices were rising exponentially and everybody sort of wanted to. Um, you know, catch the next 100x or 1000x return. Um, there was that, you know, pretty typical hype cycle that you see in early stage technologies where uh, investors got uh, people who were building it sort of over promised what it could do. And investors then took those, uh, th those promises and, and amplified them either even further. Um, and just ended up with, you know, totally unrealistic expectations of what the technology could do at the time, right, within a reasonable yeah. time frame. Um, but at the same time, you know, I, I saw the growth in this new capital market, and I thought, well, why can't we apply uh, some of the efficiencies that this is creating to uh, real estate? Um, because, you know, if you want to raise capital in real estate, you know, typically there's, there's, there's only two markets you can go to, right? Either the private or the public markets. Um, and private markets come with no liquidity and public markets are very difficult to access. Um, and you need to have, you know, pretty significant size in any deal that you're taking to the public markets through like a REIT or, or something similar. Um, and so the concept of an ICO, but in a compliant manner, uh, complying with securities regulations, sort of seem to bridge private and public, right? You could basically raise in a private fashion, but offer some of the liquidity. Basically, we saw ICOs, applying ICOs to real estate in like a, you know, a, a securities compliant uh, format as a way to bridge like the ease of raising money in private capital markets with the liquidity offered by public capital markets. 
and you know it was it was pretty clear to me and uh, you know some of the people who worked on this project with me uh, later that you know at the time that that a lot of these ICOs probably constituted securities um, or at least were far too close for comfort. So we started looking at you know how can you conduct an ICO in a compliant manner. Um, and that's when we came across crowdfunding regulations and we realized that we could basically use crowdfunding regulations, you know, fuse that with uh, the technology provided by Ethereum and create, you know, a, a, it, what became known as a security token offering for real estate. And that was kind of the genesis of Slice. We have a window, there's like a window of opportunity. And I think it's going to blow at some point. I mean, 2017 was like, you're right. I mean, it was way early a lot of people, a lot of companies were ahead of their time. Yeah. Um, but now I think, you know, we're, we're starting to see like a resurgence, you know, and God bless any company who has stayed, has the staying power since 2017, 2018, because 2018 was like a bloodbath, it seemed like. Um, any company that survived that and and has either pivoted or just pressed on, more power to them. Yeah, I totally agree. And there, there aren't very many of them um, besides Proppy. I mean, Proppy is kind of the first one that comes to mind mm-hmm. of that cohort. But I mean, most of the rest of them, like Harbor, Harbor's gone. You know, the guys who did uh, the St. Regis, I don't, I don't think they've done anything since then. Yeah. I mean, it was, there, there was a lot of excitement and then it, it kind of died down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because of the whole ICO bust. Yeah. Um, so explain to agents and real estate professionals who might be early on in their research, just what, go a little bit further into what tokenization actually is. It's an evolving definition, I would say. Yeah. But tokenization, as we were practicing it in 2018 and 2019, and as you know, some projects are still practicing it today, I, I don't think that they are at the bleeding edge, but you know, maybe... Talk about that more later, but tokenization, you know, in the in the original form, was basically just like how you'll use a special a special purpose entity or a, a you know a single purpose entity to purchase a real estate project, right? And typically, you know, you'll have many you know several different members of that SPE, and then you know the uh, uh, the lender will you know lend against the SPE, right? So in this case, we take the SPE and we, instead of the shares basically living on, you know, the operating agreement, you know, basically setting out the cap stack and, and who owns how many shares, you would issue tokens to represent the shares, uh, ERC-20 compliant, you know, Ethereum tokens. And those tokens would be registration exempt securities. So basically investors who wanted to invest in your deal, instead of signing an operating agreement, I mean, they probably would still sign an operating agreement, but instead of that operating agreement having, you know, just having a uh, cap table, they would purchase tokens that would represent, you know, the the percentage of that LLC that they own. Mm -hmm. And so since we were selling these as registration exempt securities, we were using crowdfunding regulations, crowdfunding laws. For us, we were using Reg S primarily because our focus was on offering US real estate to international investors. If you wanted to offer those securities to US investors, then you would use, there were a couple different 
regulations that you could use, but regulation D 506 C was the one that, that uh, we were looking at and that a lot of our peers used. There are a couple different reg D, you know, basically, I don't know, sub chapters, I guess you would call them that, that are, that you can use 506 B there's 504 mm. um, are kind of the three most popular ones. 506 B uh, is actually the, one of the most widely used like fun, you know, f- fundraising regulations in the world. And the difference between B and C is basically that for B, uh, you can't do any marketing of your project. Oh. Um, and that makes it a little bit easier to accept accredited investors. You can only accept accredited investors. However, those accredited investors can self-certify their accreditation. So uh, a lot easier. Whereas with a 506C, you can publicly market your deal but any investors who are subscribing to the deal have to go through like a third party. It actually doesn't have to be third party, uh, but they have to go through an accreditation process. They have to mm-hmm. prove that they're accredited. Uh, and you as the issuer have to uh, basically double check and make sure that they are accredited. And if somebody slips through and they're not accredited, but they you know, trick you or, or you, know, you don't, don't do enough diligence, there are all kinds of basically penalties that you as the issuer could face for letting an unaccredited investor slip into your, uh, your capital raise. Yeah. I don't doubt that. Yeah. Um, so the, you know, reg D was one of the most popular ones, but a lot of people were looking at also back then. And I don't think that any of these successfully were completed was using reg a and reg a, especially reg a plus, uh, is more of a, like, sort of like a mini IPO. So whereas with the Reg D and Reg S, you don't have to go through any sort of an SEC review process. You can literally just start raising money. And then two weeks later, you can file some documents with the SEC saying that this is a, you know, this is an exempt capital formation. With a Reg A, you have to go through the SEC first. And so Reg A raises are qualified by the SEC. They're not, they're not approved, but they basically have to like meet a certain standard of disclosure in order for the SEC to say, okay, you can, you can do this raise, but you can take both accredited and unaccredited investors and you can raise, I think it, what well, it used to be up to like $50 million. I think they raised that it's like 75 million now. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it, it, you know, it takes a lot more time and it's a lot more expensive than a reg D. So I don't think anybody actually ever ended up successfully going down that route for real estate tokenization. You know what I get a lot when I try to explain all this? I mean, I, I obviously can't go deep into, you know, the rabbit hole with the reg D and the red and all that stuff. I just, I, I know like a 30,000 foot view of both of those. And I know that their reg D is used more and whatever. And I try to explain it and um, what real estate professionals, they equate it to, oh, it's, it's like a digital read. So is that, close or I, I just, I know it's really simplifying it, but what, what's your take on that? Yeah, kind of. The, the difference is that, well, so REITs themselves are also complex, right? You have private REITs, you have publicly traded REITs, and then you have public non-traded REITs. And I don't, I don't want to jump into the distinctions there yeah. uh, too deep, right? Because I think it could be a whole podcast it's, itself. But so a tokenized deal shares some characteristics with a publicly traded REIT, but, you know, again, it doesn't have to go through uh, like an SEC approval process and it doesn't trade on, you know, like the New York stock exchange or, or, you know, a similar stock exchange. Since these are private securities, 
they can only trade on what are known as automated trading. Uh, I'm sorry, alternative trading systems, ATSs, which are basically, you know, exchanges. They're like neutered exchanges, kind of. So yeah, there, there, there are, I mean, there, there are significant differences, but I guess, I don't know. I, I, I shy away from that, right? Because yeah. REIT has very specific connotations in terms of, you know, how like subscriptions and redemptions are handled, you know, the, the, the tax benefits of a REIT, how specifically a REIT gains those tax benefits, you know, all that stuff is not applicable to you know, uh, an LLC that's being used as an SPE to, to own some real estate. Great answer. Thank you. It's, it's, I would say it's, it's like a syndication deal, but you have liquidity on the back end. Okay. All right. That's, yeah. that's great. Or, or crowdfunding, but with liquidity. I mean, that's really what it was, right? Uh, what we were doing in 2018 and 2019 was just creating like the, the, a more digitized, like blockchain-based form of real estate crowdfunding, mm-hmm. like Fundrise or Realty Mogul or, you know, Realty Shares, all those guys. Yeah, um, yeah, and I can also think of a few companies now that just that just didn't quite make it, and it makes me sad because they had they had some really good platform ideas, and you know, they just couldn't make it work. <laughs> well, that was part of the reason that I stayed in this space after, I mean, you know, slices, obviously we're, we're, we fit in that category too, right? Yeah. It was a great idea. We worked really hard at it. We failed. We shut up shop in, you know, early 2019, but I decided to stay in the crypto space because just like you, I, I was amazed by the passion and the brilliance uh, and the ideas, just like the, the pure innovation unfettered innovation that was coming out of this space, mm-hmm. which is also why like over time I've moved, maybe this is, uh, this is probably a tangent, but it's also part of the reason why, like I've moved more and more into like the pure crypto kind of space because like security tokens in general, you're still complying with securities laws. Like there's still like a pretty restrictive kind of layer of regulation there. And, you know, as I got deeper into crypto and I saw like what was happening with Bitcoin, what was happening with Ethereum, what was happening in DeFi, I mean, it's just like exponentially more innovation there because there's, there's no, there's no regulation. There's no, you know, nobody is stopping to, to be like, oh, is the SEC going to approve of this? Is the OCC going to approve of this? You know, they're just building all of these absolutely incredible tools. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure that at some point, the regulators are going to catch up. They already are. And there's going to be, you know, probably a, some moments of introspection uh, and reflection in, in that space as, as people try to figure out how to meet regulatory demands. But I don't know. You look at a lot of the, the innovation that has happened this, this century, in, in the 21st century, and a lot of it has been defined by companies moving in that way, right? Move fast mm-hmm. and break things. Yeah. Um, and then sort of figure out the regulations after the fact. So, which is kind of like, I, I like it just, just, you know, forge on and then just figure it out on the back end. You know, it's like, yeah, that's, that's the, that's the best we can do. I think in this space now, now with, I think that's a great segue actually, because, you know, NFTs are the hot thing right now. And I don't want to go too far in the rabbit, you know, down the rabbit hole with the NFTs because Varun did that last week. Yeah. Um, but like, but the, the NFT difference- master. Oh my God. Yeah. You're not kidding. Um, yeah. And so, the, so the difference between tokenization and NFTs, I mean, yeah, tokenization 
by and large has to follow, you know, SEC regulations for the most part, you know, and then, and then you've got, you know, these NFTs, which is just, it's, it's all the wild West, but I mean, especially NFTs right now. And that's my fear is that, you know, the feds are going to come down on it somehow. They're going to find a way to regulate it, you know, which is good and bad, but what do you think? Yeah, I agree. And there's a, there's a couple different ways to, uh, to look at this, right? Because NFTs is, NFTs are such a broad category now. So stuff like, you know, NBA top shots, you know, it's basically digital trading cards. And I don't, you know, I don't think that regulators will necessarily see any reason to, you know, step into those markets. But when you look at like NFTs in the context of real estate tokenization, because I think that that is actually like the, the new sort of bleeding edge of real asset tokenization, not just real estate, but, but in my mind, you know, particularly real estate. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, what we were doing back in 18 and 19 was basically just crowdfunding with a token. It's not that innovative. It felt innovative at the time, but now it's, you know, you sort of look back and it's like, it wasn't that innovative and I can understand why it, why it failed. And, you know, we can get into those details too, if you want to later. <laughs> sure. But uh, NFTs are the opportunity to have like the true fractionalization of ownership of a property with potential liquidity in a token format. And I say that because, you know, NFTs are non-fungible tokens, right? What we were doing in 2018 and 2019 with ERC-20s, that's a fungible token format. But real estate is not fungible. Shares of an individual real estate are fungible, which is why it worked for what we were doing. But real estate itself is not fungible. Every property out there is, you know, by definition, unique. I mean, even if you build two exactly the same properties, you know, ten years down the line, one might have been built closer to an underground river, you know, or one might have radon in the basement, and the other one might not, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's there's absolutely no case of you know two pieces of real estate that are absolutely one hundred percent precisely the same, and the deeds for real estate reflect that. And so deeds are better captured as tokens in non-fungible token formats. And so, you know, what tokenization, what tokenized crowdfunding misses is the ability to offer direct ownership interests in real estate, where your ownership is directly reflected on the deed itself. And an NFT can potentially offer you uh, that benefit. And I, you know, I think that the end game here is to literally have deeds be NFTs. Kind of the, 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 the idea of a county recorder's office where like every deed that evidences you know, ownership of real estate is literally held in paper format, you know, just seems utterly astounding in... <laughs> You know, going into yep. the third decade of the 21st century. So, you know, every single one of those deeds should be an NFT and it should live on, you know, in the cloud or, you know, preferably in some sort of a decentralized, you know, blockchain based data storage system like IPFS or something else, right? Something that that is verifiably secure from, you know, both state and non-state actors. Because obviously, I mean, we've seen over the past, you know, I think most people would think, all right, cool. If we're going to represent 
NFTs as if we're going to represent deeds as NFTs, then you know we'll create some sort of a cloud system that the government will you know will, will administer and we'll store all the NFTs there. But I mean that's just a crack crock of shit, right? Like we've we've seen over and over and over again that governments and even you know major major like uh, non governmental institutions are absolutely one hundred percent in every single case incapable of providing even a even even like a passable level of digital security. Basically, everything that you know a- any government has ever created that can be hacked has been hacked. And then, you know, outside of that, all the infrastructure, right? Like uh, uh, Colonial Pipeline being hacked, like uh, Equifax being hacked, you know, the, the Office of Federal Personnel or, or whatever it's called was hacked, right? Every, everything is hacked. The only thing that doesn't get hacked is, you know, Bitcoin and, and uh, Ethereum, the, the core consensus, right? Mm-hmm. So representing NFTs in that way, I think, you know, makes a lot more sense. Uh, and having it run on something like like Ethereum, or, or even possibly Bitcoin, uh, it's not something that, that I've considered that much. But you know, Bitcoin does have some kind of you know very rudimentary you know like colored coins and that kind of stuff where you can create uh, like other tokens that sort of are protected by the Bitcoin mm-hmm. core consensus. I don't know. I don't want to get too far. That, that's something that I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely not up to date with. So oh, I'm just going to be probably talk, saying stupid stupid stuff. So. But you know, yeah. if you built it on Ethereum, right? Like that's yeah. that's that, that's the only that's the only platform that I would feel comfortable like wouldn't you know be hacked. But then you know you would have to create some sort of a people would have to you would have to create some sort of like a widespread private key management system and that people could yada 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 whatever. All yeah, right, anyways, it's, it's a complete overhaul, and you know, yeah. which, which is time and money, obviously. And, you know, it, we're, we're pretty much, I mean, blockchain is a legal form of record keeping in most states, if right. I'm not correct, you know, if in I'm many, not, at least in many. Yeah. Yeah. I lost count, you know, at, at a couple of years ago when I was, you know, running around the country talking about blockchain, there were only maybe seven to 10 states that had adopted, that had adopted it at that yeah. point. Now I think there's, there's way more than that. Um, and I, it's, I would have to just go through to each state and find out, but yeah, but but okay, great. Now what do we do with it? You know, it's it's literally you know getting them to get on board and educate the, at, a, at a municipal level. You know, yeah. okay, this is what you can do with this, and this is why you need it. And I always use um, uh, Hurricane Katrina as a great example because yeah. you know when the, everything was just decimated, including mm-hmm. the, the records, everything, and people spent a dozen years or more trying to prove that they owned the land that they had to evacuate. It was insane. Um, so that on a decentralized server alone would have saved so many uh, lives, you know, that, like livelihoods. It was, it's, it was so crazy how it, how it all happened. And, you know, and you can talk about other countries, you know, with, with war-torn, uh, you know, borders, stuff like that. I mean, it's like you, you can't, there's no way to prove because all the records have been like all the paper records are gone. Yeah. So anyway, but that's, totally that's my tangent. <laughs> no, but you're right. You're right. I mean, it's like, why, why, why are you basically trusting, you know, this kind of centralized, very analog, like meat space agency to be yeah. the ultimate guarantor of your ownership of an asset? Um, and, and, you know, it's like, I feel like the United States is probably one of the like best 
examples of like that that working. And it's still like the, the history of you know property ownership in the US, as you just elucidated, is full of all kinds of errors and mistakes and you know recorders offices burning down or getting flooded yeah. and like it's like oh shoot like who owns what you know how, yeah. how can we figure this out but like you know in in other places that you know don't enjoy the relative stability you know political stability that we enjoy here where it's like you know refugees have to flee and then they come back and it's like somebody else has their property and they're like well i own this and the other person's like well no you don't yeah and like you can't say any different because you know, the rebels burned down the, you know, whatever it was that said that you own this, you know? Um, And like, you're just SOL. Um, So, you know, Bitcoin was exciting uh, because it allowed people to uh, finally have like full self-sovereign ownership over their wealth. Um, And that's, you know, incredibly powerful in many ways, but especially you know, on the edges during disasters and civil unrest and the like. Um, I, you know, moving ownership of real world assets, moving that proof of ownership to uh, a, a similarly decentralized system offers the same benefits, you know, being able to flee, uh, you know, the, the areas of violence and strife or, or natural disasters while keeping proof of your ownership of your assets intact. Yeah. Now tell me, <laughs> let's go back just a little bit. Why, why do you think that property in New York city failed? I mean, I know, you know, but yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, and, and it wasn't, you know, the, the property itself was fine. It was a great, it was a great deal. Um, sure. but you know, it's a sort of a broader question of you know, why did all, you know, tokenization at that time fail? Oh yeah. Um, and there are a couple different uh, there are a couple different reasons why, right? One is that it we, it was a crypto winter, you know. Uh, we were deep in the bear market; it just kept getting worse and worse. Um, and Bitcoin, you know, crunching down to like thirty two hundred bucks mm-hmm. was just like the death knell of everything. Yeah. Um, God, that was a nightmare. I know, right? Yeah, totally <laughs> I don't. Yeah, that's it, like hives thinking about twenty eighteen. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, going out and talking to people about tokenized real estate opportunities when, you know, the only analog, the only way to explain what, a, what tokenized real estate is, you know, required you to talk about Bitcoin and Ethereum, which had just lost, you know, 90% of its value. Mm-hmm. It was like, nobody, nobody cared, right? Nobody wanted to talk about this stuff. Um, there were, there were, you know, there are always a few pioneers who were like, oh, cool. Yeah. This seems like the future. I'm definitely interested in learning more, but even so, like it was still like a three to six month kind of education cycle for most of these people. Um, and when you're raising money for real estate, like that, that doesn't work, you know, like real estate is one of the most well understood asset classes and safest asset classes to invest in, in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, that's, that's not just a function of like, oh, it's a good investment that's like relatively uh, stable, but like also the fact that, you know, it's physical, right? Like at the end of the day, you know, you can invest in some kind of a stock scheme and it's like, you know, you, you go to collect and there's nothing there, right? right? But like you invest in real estate, like the real estate is always there. You can go and look at it. 
if your name is on the deed or you see the LLC's name on the deed, like you know that you own a piece of that real estate. So real estate deal cycles, um, you know, are typically like a, a, a comfortable deal cycle is like 30 to 60 days, right? But like people can get real estate deals done in a week. Oh yeah. Uh, and so if you're pushing that deal cycle out to like 90 or 120 or 180 days, it's like no, no, no real estate, you know, uh, sponsor is going to wait that long. Right. Um, so that in an, it alone was very difficult. Uh, crypto was too nascent. The idea of raising money uh, using a token on Ethereum was too nascent. Um, people didn't understand the isolation of risk between, you know, the real estate deal itself and the value of, uh, you know, any other token that was running on Ethereum or Ether itself uh, or, or Bitcoin. I mean, people didn't even understand the difference between Ethereum and Bitcoin, right? right. Um, and so, uh, you know, that was very difficult. The biggest problem that sort of all of this ties back to is that we put the token in front of the deal. Um, and by that, I mean that in order for people to invest in the deal, they had to buy the token. Uh, and that that's a huge issue, right? Now, instead of this being like a cool, innovative, exciting uh, new technology, now it's a barrier that's standing between you and your potential investor. And instead of them just, you know, instead of you going to them and saying, hey, this is a great real estate deal, you understand real estate, like here's the business plan, invest. Now you're saying, you know, hey, it's, great, it's a great real estate deal. Uh, here's the business plan. Oh, also you have to invest by purchasing this like, you know, very poorly understood <laughs> brand new technology. Yeah. Um, and like, that's going to basically... Uh, that's going to be your representation of your investment in this deal. Uh, and, oh, you want to learn more about the technology? Well, here, let me point you to, you know, these bearer assets that represent the technology that have all declined 85% in value over the last like nine months, you know? Um, nobody, no, nobody could get around that. Right. Um, and even if they could, it took too long. So, uh that was, the, that was the problem is that everyone was putting the token in front of the deal as we did. And that's not necessary for tokenization of effectively a crowdfunded deal. You don't need the token first. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> all you have to do is just raise the capital the way that you normally would and write something in the you know, subscription docs or the operating agreement that gives your investors the option to take delivery of their stake in a tokenized format if they want to. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, they don't even have to decide whether or not they want to for a year. Because when you're doing uh, a crowdfunded deal, the securities that you're selling are what's called restricted securities. And restricted securities come with a 12-month, uh, basically, lockup. Mm -hmm. where they cannot be traded in any secondary markets. Uh, so if the ultimate benefit of tokenization is liquidity, which was another issue that, that I forgot to mention, you know, if you're going to somebody and you're saying, oh, hey, we're going to do a real estate deal, it's going to be better than a normal real estate deal because you're going to have liquidity on the back end. And then they're like, oh, okay, cool, how much liquidity? And then you're like, oh, well, actually, none of the exchanges that it will trade on even exist yet. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, um, but like, but, but that's like that, that's basically the biggest sort of uh, uh, selling point is that you'll have liquidity in these deals, but the liquidity won't come for a year anyways. So why do you need the token in the first place? Yeah. You can just worry about the token a year after you close the deal. So that was uh, optional at that point. I mean- and it's optional and it's optional. So like the, the, so the investor has no exposure to the token if they don't want it. Uh, and they can, they can completely decide whether they do or do not want it. Um, and then you can spend that year educating them on the benefits of tokenization, of holding a token. And you have an extra year to wait to see if any uh, ATSs you know, evolve that can trade your token. So that killed us, killed everybody else, killed Harbor. You know, it, it, it killed everybody who was trying to do a deal like that. Um, mm-hmm. But then you, uh, have, then you have the St. Regis that, you know, did fairly well. What, what's the difference? Do you think it was just because of the name? Yeah, that was probably one of them. I mean, the St. Regis, right? People recognize it as a, uh, you know, as a, as a class A property. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing was that not really you know, take this with a grain of salt, right? Like I, I heard this through the grapevine, um, but my, you know, my grapevine at that time was pretty good. That deal didn't raise any money from the tokenized portion of it. Um, it raised the money from the sponsor's own uh, Rolodex. Uh, yeah. So there was no real benefit to them from going to, uh, from, from tokenizing that stake. Um, and the sponsor of that deal was a very big sponsor. I mean, they were like a, they're a multi-billion dollar asset manager. They have very deep pockets themselves and they have very strong capital relationships of the type where, you know, that, that kind of a sponsor could basically pick up the phone and be like, Hey, I'm doing this cool new thing. You know, do you want to, do you want to come into it with me? And I think they raised like, you know, 20 something million dollars. Like that's not, that's not a huge raise. Um, especially for an asset of the size and quality uh, of the St. Regis. Yeah, yeah. So that one, I think, worked just on the strength of the sponsor's connections. You know, my, my understanding at the time, and I would be, love to be proven wrong, was that the blockchain in, you know, investment bank that worked on that deal didn't actually end up bringing any capital through. Um, so, okay. Yeah. Uh, so every every deal is different, just like you know, just like traditional real estate. So yeah, and and the thing is, like now that we know that there's a better way to do it, like I don't I don't see why anybody would do like a St. Regis style deal again. You know, yeah, um, like that sponsor could easily, if he wanted to tokenize a deal again, he would just do it like the newer way, where the token is behind the deal instead of yeah. in front of it. Yeah, which I think is just brilliant. That I remember you talking about that for the first time, and I'm like, oh my god, of course, mm-hmm. <laughs> put it behind and just you know stick it in the dock somewhere. Is yeah, and it's astonishing to me that like you still see projects these days. Um, like every once in a while, you'll see some pop up where they're like, oh yeah, buy our token and you get real estate, and it's mm-hmm. like, no, no, yeah, this is like we we proved that this was the wrong way to do it back then. We know that there's a better way to do it. Like, why would you be you know, continuing, continuing to propagate this basically very poor way of doing business. Right. Because technology, because tokenization, we love that, you know, we love the, term, yeah. you know, and it's, just, yeah. and I get, I'm, which brings me really to the next topic, you know, you know, with regards to this, you know, I get calls and emails all the time, weekly mm-hmm. uh, from agents and 
property owners from everywhere, um, mm-hmm. New mm-hmm. Jersey to Panama to, you know, name it that, Hey, I want to tokenize my property. You know, they learn this new word <laughs> and yeah. they think that they're going to be able to sell like this, this land or, or, or crazy you know, income property that, no one would, you know, it, it sits on the market forever. And so they think, oh, okay, well, they, if I just tokenize it. People are going right. to land in New Jersey. And I'm like, well, you know, I, let's, <laughs> let's talk about this for a second. You know, I don't think they understand what goes into it, you know, and, and the time and the money and all that. So, you know, what would you, what would you tell these people? Um, yeah, so it's not, it's not a panacea. Right. Like you're not going to take a, it's, it's not slapping lipstick on a pig. Um, you know, tokenization <laughs> right now, I think it works in the context of, you know, if you are like a futurist or someone who's just, you know, really excited by innovation and you want to help to sort of push forward the adoption and evolution of this space, um, you know, then maybe you can, you can, write some tokenization into your docs. But the idea that um, you're going to take any any property, right, and create a token that represents the ownership interest or, or an investment interest, and somehow that's going to make your property more desirable or going to give you some sort of a premium on the value is not realistic. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. I think in the future, when we've figured out a better format for this, uh, you know, for, for this technology, absolutely. Right. I think all properties will be tokenized, but right now we have not found like the right way to do this. Um, and I, I honestly, like, I, you know, I feel bad saying this, but I don't think there's any benefit to tokenizing real estate at, at this time, at this time. Yeah. And, and there's some key component, you know, that we're missing, you know, do you you have any clue as to what that is? I mean, we, we do have, you know, like, uh, uh, platforms like Rieno, um, you know, yeah. to those guys, you know, because I, I need somebody, I need to funnel these people to somebody, right. So yeah. I hear, talk to this guy. Um, but that, I mean, that's 70% of their work is just dealing with the sec, you know, yeah. and it's, and it's a very slow, you know, very painful, very expensive process. Um, so yeah. And once, and once, uh, you know, the, these owners and, and, and agents, you know, get like kind of the 30,000 foot view of like, Oh God, that's what it takes. Oh, forget it. You know, they're going to walk away. Could it cost um, me how much? Yeah. It's, exactly. take how long? it's not just, you know, setting up a Wix website and just saying, okay, bye my, you know, um, yeah. so, you know, what, how do you see this playing out? I mean, I know we're missing this component, but like what, uh, what's missing? Yeah, so it's a couple of things, um, and I have so much respect for for guys like the Reno guys who are oh, yeah. you know, who are still in this space and and iterating and evolving. Um, but it, it takes more than them, right? Like, there's only so much that they can do. And again, the ultimate kind of value driver here is the promise of liquidity on the back end, and we haven't seen that yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of the ATSs that popped up have really been successful. Open finance, you know, they got, they, they ended up selling themselves and got mm-hmm. folded into something else. Um, you know, most of the, of the, the guys that were working in ATSs, it just didn't work out and the liquidity didn't flow. Yeah. Um, 
And if you cannot show to prospective, you know, users of tokenization that there's any benefit, why, why are they going to do it? You know? Um, and you know, it's, it's, so we need to figure out, man, this is such a good question. And it's, it's funny cause I don't, I don't grapple with this on a daily basis anymore. So I'm kind of like <laughs> thinking through it. Yeah. Look, it's, it's like a combination of different things that you need, right? One, you need the guys who are on the front end who are dealing directly with the sponsors and are, you know, bringing people into the ecosystem, selling them on, you know, either the benefits now, whether they're a little bit shaky, the future benefits, or just finding the right people who are willing to, you know, kind of take a flyer here mm-hmm. and say, all right, I get it. The benefit's not here, but I can see where this space will evolve to. And I love it. And I'm the kind of person who wants to support innovation. So let's go do this, you know, and those people totally exist, you know, like when I say that I don't see the, you know, immediate economic benefit of tokenizing a property right now, I'm not really worried about like setting back the tokenization industry, because I think it's much worse if, you know, you go and sell people and, and tell them that there's some sort of immediate economic benefit. And then they find out that there isn't after they spent the money and the time. And then they're like, oh, this is just a scam. Mm-hmm. I'm never doing this ever again. And I'm going to tell all of my other real estate friends that this is just a scam, you know, versus just being upfront and saying that, you know, in the future, everything's going to be tokenized. You know, this is the future of capital formation. It's the future of many different asset classes, not just real estate, but it's not here yet. Uh, and, you know, if you're the kind of person who likes to kind of pioneer things like this, then, you know, we would love to work with you and tokenize your properties and find those kinds of people who are bought in, not on the immediate economic benefit, but on the passion. Um, and then, you know, those kinds of people will be much more patient and much more willing to work with you and iterate with you. Um, so that's kind of the first step, right? Then the second step is, uh, you need to, we need to figure out, you know, what the key is, uh, for making an ATS work for security tokens. Um, you know, clearly there are not enough security tokens out there to support, you know, ATSs that are specific to individual, uh, asset classes. So like in the short term, I don't think we're going to have like a real estate ATS. I don't think we're going to have, you know, precious metals, ET, ET, uh, ET, did I say ETF? ATS. ATS. Yeah. Yeah. Real estate ATS, a precious metals ATS. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think in the short term, we're just going to have like a security token ATS mm-hmm. um, and the security tokens will trade there. And it didn't work in 2018 and 2019. I'm hoping that, you know, the next guy who comes along is going to figure out, you know, the right way to do it. Um, ATSs are outside of my, you know, my, my expertise. So I'm not going to pretend like I have some insights that I can share there for how to do that the right way. Right. I'll I'll leave that up to the experts. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I I believe in innovation. All I do all day, every day is I buy innovation, um, which is why I'm investing in crypto. I believe that somebody will come along and figure out how to do that the right way. And once they do, uh, you know, then you can move beyond the, uh, you know, the the ideologically motivated real estate uh, sponsors uh, and, and point to some real, uh, uh, you know, value. Um, and then there's all kinds of other ancillary, uh, solutions and services that need to be built out to support, uh, you know, liquid 
individual real estate projects. Um, and so like, that's why, I don't know if you remember Invenium Capital. Yeah. Um, yeah, I used to talk to them a lot in like 2018 and 2019. Uh, so they are one of the companies that survived that whole thing and are, you know, still out there, still innovating. If anything, I mean, I, I say still, but like they're better than ever. I mean, they've expanded massively um, and they are just completely conquering uh, the vertical of data, uh, data around these properties, right? Because if you want a tokenized property to trade with significant liquidity, and if you want tokenization to provide an immediate premium to a non-tokenized property, then you need to create the data pipelines, basically like the, the oracles that will uh, provide transparency around you know, what the investor is actually buying when they buy the token. Mm. Um, and Invedium is just like absolutely crushing that use case. And they're not just in uh, the STO world, but they're branching out into, you know, DeFi stuff and, and all kinds of other stuff. Um, uh, those guys are brilliant. I, I, I just, I love everything that they're doing. Um, and we've been talking to them a lot uh, uh, at, at Wave now too, just to see how we can help and, and support. That's great. I would love to be able to help them as well. You know, I've, I've heard them, you know, over the year, I've heard about them over the years and, you know, that's, it's kind of like one they're on my list, you know, <laughs> like people to contact, you know? And, yeah. Well, I'm happy to put you in touch. I mean, yeah, it's, it's like astounding. Yeah. The people that they've hired. I mean, it, yeah, I've, right. I've had like three or four calls with them over the, over the past month. And it's all like, you know, former CEOs of like major companies, you wow. know, Goldman Sachs alums, like, like really, really just impressive, intelligent people. God, just, I love that. I know. I love it too. Yeah. So, um, so, so that, that like, but that's an example of like a very important kind of ancillary service mm-hmm. that like people don't necessarily think about when they think of tokenization. I mean, it goes along with what you were saying earlier when people come to you and they're just like, Oh, I want to tokenize my property. And it's like, well, but there's so much more that we need in order for tokenized real asset markets to function effectively, efficiently. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, that, that those, uh, those service providers will, uh, continue to pop up and will continue to make, uh, the, you know, tokenized asset ecosystem stronger and stronger. Wow. Okay. Well, we do, we have a little bit to go, I would think. Um, definitely, you know, there's just so much going on in this space. I, I love I would love to see, you know, more of, uh, you know, real assets bridged into decentralized finance. Mm-hmm. So like, that's something that uh, centrifuge is tackling with their tin Lake protocol. Yeah. Um, just, you know, a, an amazing and very innovative, uh, you know, attempt to, uh, take real world assets and make it so that DeFi protocols like MakerDAO can lend against them. Um, you know, Ave is working on stuff like that. Compound is working on stuff like that. Um, and I think that's fascinating because like, like I said it, it, earlier in the podcast, you know, decentralized finance just represents completely unfettered innovation. I mean, yeah. it, it is the purest marketplace of ideas that I think we've ever seen in human history. Um, and it, you know, that it, it sounds hyperbolic, but I think that is an apt description 
because that's exactly what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's people are building financial primitives that uh, could never be built before and could never even be imagined before. And whether or not they succeed, uh, you know, is it not, not necessarily whether or not they succeed, but whether or not the market considers them a good idea, like you get that feedback almost immediately mm-hmm. because they typically have some sort of a token associated. Um, and unlike what we saw in ICOs, you know, these tokens for DeFi projects typically have like an actual use case. Like they're actually vital to the functioning of, uh, of these uh, uh, ideas, these protocols. Yeah. And so the market can weigh in instantly on whether or not this is a good idea. And, you know, uh, uh, the market is not always right. So people will sometimes, you know, th- they'll, they'll launch something and maybe the token goes, you know, loses value immediately because the market's like, oh, this doesn't seem like a good idea. But then they stay with it. And six months later, 18 months later, whatever, suddenly it's like, oh my God, like this was a brilliant idea and nobody realized it at the time. And the, you know, the token goes up, you know, up 10,000% mm-hmm. uh, or 10,000 X or something. And you, you get that kind of market feedback instantaneously, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, it's fascinating. And there are no, there's no, there are no fences around it. There's no, you know, regulatory pressure, um, it, it's just, you know, th- there are no incumbents, there are no entrenched interests. Um, you know, there, there's n- none of that. It's just people saying, I have an idea and building it and launching it. Um, and it's incredible. I mean, the, the, the growth that we are seeing in that space, even now during this, you know, quote unquote bear market, which I think is utterly ridiculous. <laughs> um, you know, uh, clearly we're, we're in a significant correction, but the idea that we're in a bear market with like the, the degree of innovation that's happening in DeFi, the retail adoption that we continue to see in the NFT space, like all of the endogenous catalysts uh, we're seeing from Ethereum this year, all of the exogenous catalysts we're seeing for Bitcoin this year. Um, like th- there's no way, you know, like, thank you. Jeez. Yeah. Like late 2017, yeah. early 2018, I think it made sense, you know, like Bitcoin, uh, went through just the incredibly punishing block size wars. Um, you know, those were finally put to rest. Everybody was super excited. Bitcoin hit 20K. And then it was like, we were just exhausted, right? Like yeah. nobody was willing to go through the fight for another big tech upgrade. And in fact, we didn't see another big tech upgrade in Bitcoin until this year with Taproot. Um, and that was because, you know, socially, I think Bitcoin was just exhausted, Right. Um, and Ethereum just wasn't there yet, right? Like DeFi didn't really exist. The idea was kind of starting to plant seeds, but like everything else was just these absolute dog shit ICOs that were just vaporware. Um, and that was the vast majority of the market. Yeah. And so there, there were no, there, there were no catalysts. Like the catalysts were, I'm going to make a ton of money on shit coins Right. In 17. And then like, once that stopped working, there wasn't anything else, you know, like all the money had been tapped out and a lot of it was stuck in worthless projects. 
Um, yeah. And that's and not calls for that. Like, oh, oh yeah. I got this great coin and I only want to buy in this coin. I'm like, I, nobody cares about your crap coin. Yeah. Yeah. No, thank I, you. I don't, yeah, but I don't, that, but that like, that does not reflect 2021 at all. No, We're not there, no. It's like, you, you know? cannot pull this shit in 2021. Yeah. You know, it's just, nobody's going to, in fact, I even put that up <laughs> on my crypto listings online site. You know, I got an FAQ thing and that that's how many times I get calls and emails about some crazy coin, you know, yeah. trying to buy in and the seller's got to take this coin. And I'm like, nobody cares about your crap coin. So yeah. ask me, you know? Yeah. So hundred percent. Unbelievable. Oh my God. Henry, thank you so much. I'll probably my pleasure. Again at some point because thank you for having me on. Oh, so much to talk about. It's so yeah. Anyway. Always. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I'll, can I put your, um, like maybe your email or something on the, on the, can people get a hold of you if they? If yeah, they- definitely. So uh, on Twitter, I'm at uh, Henry Elder BTC. Um, you know, I'm also uh, I'm on Telegram at Henry underscore Elder. Um, you know, and uh, if anybody wants to learn, you know, more about Wave, they can always email me Henry at WaveGP.com uh, or the International Blockchain Real Estate Association. I'm Henry at Ibrea. I-B-R-E-A dot info. Which we will hopefully at some point start having meetups again. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. We keep talking. Mask mandate is back in LA. Oh God, I know. I'm just like, what about this? What about that? How can we, you know? So I, you know, who knows? Yeah. Uh, Maybe save that for 2022. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, totally. All right, Henry. Thank you so much. Thanks, Piper. Now, if you have any follow-up questions, you can always email me at info at the And if you're a complete newbie, check out my class for agents at cryptoandrealestate.com. That's cryptoxrealestate.com. See you next time. Mm-hmm.